Well, let's stand together and let's turn to the book of Job tonight, the book of Job chapter 1. And we're going to see a man tonight that went through some things, went through some difficulties, some trials, and yet remained faithful to the Lord because he is worth being faithful to regardless of our circumstances. Job chapter 1, and if you'll notice with me verse number 1, I'll read to verse 5. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. There were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses, and a very great household. So this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. You can be seated. How many of you are baseball fans? Can I see your hands? Baseball fans? A few. You know what's frustrating about watching baseball is that sometimes you watch a game, and I know the Oakland A's, they went to the playoffs this year, and so very exciting season. But sometimes you watch a baseball game and your team is kind of just, you know, right there. They're doing well. The pitcher is, is on his game and throwing strikes and getting people out. And it gets all the way to that eighth or ninth inning, and this one guy comes up that you don't want to come up, and he hits a home run, and your team loses. Frustrating. Just one guy, one pitch, one mistake, and he makes you pay. Boy, he drives that thing out of the park and you go home sad. You're in a bad mood for another 24 hours. Your team lost because one guy spoiled what otherwise would have been a great game. You know, it seems the devil hits a lot of home runs against Christians these days. The devil seems to always be up at certain times in our life. We're going along pretty good. God's blessing our life in some ways. And as we heard tonight, there are some blessings in our life from God. But then at that seemingly inopportune time, boy, the devil is right up there at the plate again. And he hits that home run against us. But I want you to realize tonight that the devil is not invincible. Some of you may remember this poem. It's a bit old, so you that are young, forgive us. The outlook wasn't brilliant for the Mudville Nine that day. The score stood four to two with but one, in, one inning yet to play. And then when Cooney died at first and Barrows did the same, a sickly silence fell upon the patrons of the game. A straggling few got up to go in deep despair the rest clung to that hope which springs eternal in the human breast somewhere. They thought if only Casey, mighty Casey, could get a whack at that, they'd put up even money now with Casey at the bat. But Flynn 
preceded Casey, as did also Jimmy Blake. And the former was a Lulu, and the latter was a cake. So upon that stricken multitude, grim melancholy sat, for there seemed but little chance of Casey's getting to the bat. But Flynn let drive a single to the wonderment of all, and Blake and the much despised tore the cover off the ball. And when the dust had lifted and the men saw what had occurred, there was Jimmy safe at second and Flynn a hug in third. Then from 5,000 throats and more, there rose a lusty yell. It rumbled through the valley and rattled in the dell. It knocked upon the mountain and recoiled upon the flat for Casey, mighty Casey, was advancing to the bat. There was an ease in Casey's manner as he stepped up to the place. There was a pride in Casey's bearing and a smile on Casey's face. And when responding to the cheers, he lightly doffed his cap. No stranger in the crowd could ever doubt. T'was Casey at the bat. 10,000 eyes were on him as he rubbed his hands with dirt. 5,000 tongues applauded when he wiped them on his shirt. Then while the writhing pitcher ground the ball into his hip, defiance gleamed in Casey's eye. A sneer curled Casey's lip. And now the leather-covered sphere came hurtling through the air, and Casey stood a-watching in a haughty grandeur there. Close by, the sturdy batsman, the ball unheeded, sped. That ain't my style, said Casey. Strike one, the umpire said. From the benches, black with people, there rose a muffled roar like the beatings of storm waves on a stern and distant shore. Kill him! Kill the umpire! Someone shouted in the stands. It's likely they'd killed him had not Casey raised his hand. With a smile of Christian charity on Casey's visage shone, he stilled the rising tumult. He bade the game go on. He signaled to the pitcher, and once more the sapphire flew, but Casey still ignored it, and the umpire said, Strike two! Fraud! cried one of the maddened thousands, and echoes answered, Fraud! But one scornful look from Casey, and the audience was awed. They saw his face grown stern and cold. They saw his muscles strain, and they knew that Casey would not let that ball go by again. The sneer is gone from Casey's lip. His teeth are clenched in hate. He pounds with cruel violence his bat upon the plate, and now the pitcher holds the ball, and now he lets it go, and now the air is shattered by the force of Casey's blow. Oh, somewhere in this favored land, the sun is shining bright. The band is playing somewhere, and somewhere hearts are light. And somewhere men are laughing, and somewhere children shout. But there's no joy in Mudville, for mighty Casey has struck out. There are times when the devil seems invincible when he comes to the plate in our lives. But I remind us in the book of 1 John chapter 4, God tells us greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. James said, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now Satan often steps to the plate in those crucial moments of our life. And how is it that we are going to be able to strike him out? How can we be victorious against this one who is more powerful than we are? 
Well, I want you to look at a recap of Job's life tonight, and I want you to see three critical at-bats that we can learn from in the life of Job. First of all, tonight I see that Job was a person of excellence. The back of Job's baseball card was pretty impressive. He was a Cy, a Cy Young award-winning Christian on the mound, and, and uh, he had quite a track record of, of excellence in his life. We see that he was a spiritual person. In verse 1, the Bible says that he feared God and eschewed evil. Here was a man that in his heart had a fear of God, and he hated sin. You know, victory never starts with outward performance. It always starts with inward preparation. Exercise thyself rather unto godliness, Paul said. For bodily exercise profiteth little or for a little time, but godliness is profitable unto all things. Here was a spiritual person. Would God call you a spiritual person tonight? This is God's word, and God is writing the record here of Job. This isn't Pastor Fong talking. This isn't your best friend talking. This isn't your spouse giving a biography of your life. No, this is God writing Job's biography. And God says that Job was a man that feared God and eschewed evil. Here was a spiritual person who had a very successful portfolio. If you look at verse number two, it tells us about his family. He had seven sons and three daughters. It tells us about his finances in verse number three. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses and a very great household. Understand, in Bible times in the Old Testament, they didn't have banks. They didn't have credit unions. Uh, they didn't have retirement accounts. The way that you understood how wealthy a man was was by the, the assets that he had as far as his cattle and his flocks. Here was a man that was mightily blessed of God. And we should always remember that it's only God who can provide our success. It is only God who, who puts money in our pocket. It is not we who, who are somehow successful in our life. The Bible says in John chapter 3, a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Paul says to the Corinthian church, what hast thou that thou dost not receive? Now, if thou dost receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? Here was a spiritual person with a successful portfolio, but notice a satanic plot. Mark it down, friends. Whenever God blesses your life, whenever God's hand is upon your life, you can be sure the devil is going to paint a big target on your back. I tell our college students often in chapel that when they come forward and make a decision at the altar, they can just mark it down. The devil's kneeling right behind them, painting a big target on their back. Whenever you decide, I'm going to live for Jesus Christ, I'm going to do something great for God, the devil is going to plot against you. And if you look at verse number six, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? that there's none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? 
Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself shalt thou not put forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Any Christian with a spiritual testimony becomes a specific target of Satan. We have an enemy. You can't see him. You can't always know that he's about. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Uh, whatever, whenever God is doing something in our life, God is trying to, uh, uh, Satan is trying to undo that work. And Satan has multiple darts that he will throw. He loves to destroy us with pride. He loves to destroy us with self. He'll destroy us with fear, with anxiety, with doubt, depression. But he can destroy us with money. He can destroy us with drugs. He can destroy us with alcohol. He can destroy us with immorality. You see, Paul told the Corinthian church, I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. The devil doesn't care what means he uses. He just wants to get the job done. He wants to make your testimony disappear. That word devour in 1 Peter 5, 8, seeking whom he may devour, that word means to make to disappear. And the devil would like to make your testimony disappear. He'd like for you to be ineffective in reaching your loved ones for Christ. He'd like you to be ineffective in reaching people in this community for Jesus Christ. He wants the testimony of Heritage Baptist Church to disappear. Job, this person of excellence, goes through several innings in the game of life doing well. But then we see, secondly, a period of exasperation. Satan watches as Job throws inning after inning after inning after inning of perfect baseball. I mean, Job is throwing strikes. Job is getting people out in his life. Job is able to be successful. Job continues to be spiritual in his life. Job continues to hate evil. And the devil watches inning after inning of his life go by year after year after year. And then one day, Satan lights a dart. And in Job's case, the first dart was the loss of finances. Look at it in verse 14. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them and the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. And while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God is fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels. 
and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Suddenly this bank account of all of these herds and flocks and sheep and camels, all of a sudden, they're gone. All of a sudden, Job, his bank account is empty. There's nothing there. All of his possessions, everything gone in a moment. You know, financial security is pretty insecure. Sometimes we feel pretty good about ourselves as long as we have some money in our pocket and a little retirement set aside or maybe a little savings for a rainy day and we feel like, hey, we're doing pretty good, but be careful. The psalmist said, when riches increase, set not thine heart upon them. Be careful that that's not what consumes your life, the security of, of financial success. Jesus said, take heed, beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. See, when God evaluates our lives tonight, he's not out there looking in the parking lot to see what we drive. When God evaluates us tonight, he's not looking at name brand clothes. He's not looking at what part of town we live in or what kind of a house we live in or what kind of a, a paycheck we draw. He says, no, no, no. He, he goes on and he says, the, the, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, what shall I do? I, I have no room to bestow all my fruits and my goods. And he said, this will I do. I'll pull down my barns, I'll build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. You know, if that guy was living today, he'd be the number one article in Forbes magazine next week. I mean, his portfolio would be tried to, we'd, we'd try to copy it. We'd try to figure out how he did that. We, we want to read that success story. I mean, this guy, he made it to the big time. He, he had, was able to retire early. He had enough set aside. He didn't, he didn't have room for all of his blessings. And the world would have called him success. But in the next verse, God says, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Are you rich toward God tonight? Or do you just have money in the bank? Are you rich toward God tonight or do you just have a good job? College student, are you rich toward God tonight or are you just getting a good education? Be careful. Because financial security is pretty insecure. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Having then food and raiment, let us therewith be content. For they that will be rich fall into many temptations and snares and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drowned men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Friend, material things are not the goal of life. There's an eternity that awaits us when life's over. Are you prepared to meet God?
Satan through the fiery dart of a loss of finances. But no more than that dart hits, the devil is lighting another one. And it's the loss of family. Look at verse 18. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young men and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Nothing hurts like the loss of family. Nothing hurts anymore. Nothing makes us feel like we got kicked in the gut, so to speak, like a death in the family, a divorce, a desertion, a division. The devil loves to bring this dart into our life to try to get us off course with God. No more does the devil throw that dart of a loss of finances and a loss of family, but he lights a third, a loss of fitness. Chapter 2 and verse 7. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown, and he took him a potsherd to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes. Now Job's health is at risk. Sickness. No more than that loss of fitness comes the loss of fellowship in chapter 2 and verse number 9. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. By the time we get to chapter 4 and chapter 5, we find that Job's so-called friends have come to try to comfort him in all of this misery, and yet they accuse him of being uh, out of sorts with God in a backslidden condition, and they, they judge Job, and they say, Job, this is all your fault. The reason all this is happening is because you're not right with God. And suddenly, Job finds himself alone. Satan will target those areas that mean the most to us. whether it's the material things, whether it's our families, whether it's our health, whether it's the fellowship that we enjoy with our friends and church family, be careful about the things you consider strengths. Be careful about the things you consider secure. Be careful about the things that you are sure of. Satan's coming after him. One night, Jesus, sitting at a table with his disciples, looked them in the eyes and he said, one of you this night shall betray me. And do you remember who the first was to speak? Peter. Peter was pretty quick to speak. Often he didn't think before he spoke. But Peter was quick to respond. And Peter responded with, though all men should be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. And Jesus said, verily I say unto you that this night before the cock crow thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter said, though I should die with you, I will never deny you. Lord, you got this one wrong. Lord, you've made a mistake. You, 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 you missed on this one. That's impossible. Be careful about what you consider to be a strength. Be careful about those things that you think you are sure of. You will never do that. 
the devil will come after you. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before fall. I wonder, are you in one of those exasperated innings of your life right now? Maybe your marriage is struggling. Maybe your job is fragile. Perhaps uh, your ministry doesn't seem to have success. Perhaps your finances are short. Perhaps your health is in jeopardy. Perhaps there's a relationship that isn't going well. What you do in this inning of your life will determine whether you win or lose. And I want you to see thirdly tonight the promise of execution. Turn with me to Job chapter 13. Let's go a little farther to Job's life. We've seen the devil's attack. But notice Job's promise here of execution. Job chapter 13, look at verse 13. This is in the midst of his friends accusing him of being wrong with God and so on. In verse 13, he says, hold your peace, let me alone that I may speak and let come on me what will. Wherefore do I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in mine hand? Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. But I will maintain my own ways before him. We see here in Job's life a marvelous trust. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. The strength of your faith, the strength of your trust is never going to be known in the calm. It's going to be revealed in the storm. And just as God allowed this exasperation in Job's life, he did it to prove to Satan himself that Job's trust was a lot stronger than Satan thought. Because your trust, your faith, is only revealed in the storm. The psalmist said unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. It would appear in that context that the psalmist is experiencing the enemy's onslaught. He's experiencing an attack by those about him that are trying to destroy him. And yet his trust is seen there in the Lord. The psalmist in chapter 56 and verse 3 said, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In Psalm 57, my soul thirsteth, uh, my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings I'll make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. We sang a moment ago, till the storm passes by. I will cry unto God, most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. Thou'lt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee because he trusteth in thee. God is our refuge and help, a very present help in time of trouble. Here's a marvelous trust. But then I want you to see also a maintained target. In verse 15, he said, though he slay me, Yet will I trust in him, but I will maintain my own ways before him. A maintained target. I mentioned this morning in Sunday school that when you study the life of the Apostle Paul, you don't find him looking in the rear view mirror very often. Paul didn't look back at all the trials and all the difficulties and all the hardships. Paul kept looking ahead. 
Paul kept his eyes on the finish line. Paul kept his eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. And Job, we see the same thing in his life. Everything has crumbled around him. Everybody's forsaken him. Everything is going wrong. And yet Job says, I will maintain my ways before the Lord. That's so opposite of what happens to us. Boy, the devil lights one of those darts and he throws it at us. And we want to quit. I, I meet people that say to their pastor, Pastor, uh, we'd come back tonight to church, but we're kind of going through it right now. And I want to say, you know, when you're kind of going through it right now, it's a good time to come to church. But see, our natural reaction is when things go bad, when things go south, when things aren't going right, we want to quit church. We give up reading our Bible. We stop praying. We stop giving. We stop inviting people to church. We, we start losing our momentum for the Lord. And, and, and on top of that, we begin to blame God for the problem. Then we rationalize our apathy. We take on the mentality of a victim. And pretty soon we start our little pity party. And we begin to say how it's just not fair and everybody's unjust. You know, we need to go back to the Bible. We need to read the story of Joseph. Joseph went through a tough time. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine, I, I have one brother, I have one sister, I can't imagine my brother and sister selling me as a slave. I'm sure they thought about it a time or two. But to actually do it. And, and, and Joseph's brothers not only sold him as a slave, they were gonna kill him. They hated him so much. They were so jealous over his coat of many colors. They were going to kill him. Had Reuben not intervened, they would have killed him. But they sell him as a slave. Job end, or Joseph ends up down in Egypt. He's placed under Potiphar's uh, uh, reign there. And, and Joseph is faithful. He tries to serve. He tries to do everything they ask him to do. He maintains his testimony. And one day Potiphar's wife tries to sexually entice Joseph into sin. And Joseph says, I can't do this great wickedness and sin against God. And, and Job says, no, he refuses. But, but Potiphar's wife, she tells her husband he tried to rape her. And so now he gets thrown in prison. And he's there for three years. Now remember, he's innocent. He's done absolutely nothing wrong. And he's in prison now for three years. I don't know about you, if I was in prison for three days and I was innocent, I'd be upset. I'd be saying, God, why? God, what's going on here? I was faithful, I was doing what was right. I didn't do anything wrong and this is what I get? Not Joseph. Joseph maintains his way before the Lord. And God raises Joseph out of that prison and makes him a mighty deliverer to the nation of Israel. I think of Daniel. Read the story again. Daniel, as a teenager, is ripped away from his family, taken into Babylon, captive as a slave. His mother and father probably killed in the raid. His sisters and brothers, if he had them, uh, probably killed or, or taken captive. And here's Daniel now in Babylon. They, they change his name. They tried to change his diet. Understand something. Read the passage carefully. Daniel is never going to get married. He's never going to have a family. He's placed under the prince of the eunuchs. 
physically they destroyed him. His future, gone. Now, I don't know how you were when you were 17 or 18 or 19, but if that had happened to us, we'd be going, thanks a lot, God, see ya. But not Daniel. Not Daniel. Daniel purposed in his heart. Daniel maintained his way before the Lord. I think of Paul and Silas. You know, we kind of joke about the fact, well, nobody's ever come up to me and said, what must I do to be saved? Well, have you ever thought about the context of that? Paul and Silas were preaching in Philippi. And for preaching, they got thrown in jail. They got arrested. And, and they were beaten. Their backs were bloodied. And, and the jailer, to keep them safely, he tells them to put them into the inner prison. I assume that's like a dark cell. Their, their, their feet are placed in stocks. Their backs are bleeding. They're in horrible pain. Their feet are in the stocks. They can't see a thing. They're in this inner prison. But the Bible says at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and all the prisoners heard them. This wasn't the McDonald's prayer. Lord, bless the food. Amen. You know, they, no, they, they, they were praising God. All the prisoners heard them. Now again, if somebody walks through that door right now and arrests me for preaching, and I get thrown in jail, and they beat my back till I'm bleeding, and they put my feet in stocks, and I'm in a dark cell, I'm not sure what I'm going to be doing at midnight, but probably not what they were doing. And yet there's Paul and Silas maintaining their way before the Lord. And all of a sudden there's an earthquake and immediately all the doors are open and everyone's bands are loosed. And the keeper of the prison, seeing the prison doors open, he, he, he drew out his sword as, as going to kill himself because he supposed that all the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do thyself no harm, we are all here. You ever think about that? We're all here. You know, if you open the prison doors in California tonight, they ain't all going to be there. <laughs> They're all leaving. But not that night in Philippi. That night in that jail, when those prison doors opened, all the prisoners stayed. You know why? I think they all had already gotten saved. So now this jailer, he can't believe what he's seeing. He can't believe that they're all there. And he brings them out and he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? You see, the context was Paul and Silas had maintained their way before the Lord. And God opened some doors of opportunity that they otherwise would never have had. You read the rest of Job, you read the last chapter, and Job becomes greater than he ever was in the beginning. Why? because he maintained his way through the difficult times. You can strike the devil out, friend. He's not invincible. You may, go, may be going through a rough inning right now. You may be going through a tough time in the game of life, but the devil's not invincible. My wife and I, we, we've been married for about 45 and a half years, and God's blessed us. We, we've, God's been very good to us. We have four children. We're thankful for all four of our children, all of them in ministry. I'm thankful to have two sons that are pastoring, a son that's in evangelism, a daughter that works on our staff there in Lancaster and her husband. God's been good to us. We have 12, 12 grandchildren. 
And uh, boy, time just goes by. Our oldest granddaughter graduated from high school this year. I got another granddaughter that's driving. I've refused to go visit them for a few months until she gets that driver's license. But I want to be safe. But it's amazing how good God's been to us. But this last March, we had our last grandbaby, Logan. Logan was born with Down syndrome. So what do we do now? I'll tell you what we do. We maintain our way before the Lord. You don't get bitter in times like that. You don't get angry. Oh, there's temptation to. There's temptation to say, God, what's going on? I mean, come on, we, we prayed for a healthy baby. We, 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 we prayed for your goodness to continue. We, we prayed, God, oh no, no. No, whatever God brings, Maintain your way before the Lord. Let me tell you something. You just mark it down right now. I may not be here to see this. God's going to use Logan in ways he will not use any of my kids or any of my grandkids. He already is. When Eric and Alexa go to a church to preach revival, everybody wants to talk to Logan. He can't talk. He's only nine months old. But everybody wants to hold Logan. Everybody wants to see Logan. People all over the country praying for Logan's surgeries last week. That little kid is having an impact on this world that I'll never have. See, God knows what he's doing. My mother was a church secretary until she was 88 years old. My mother ran basically the offices of a church of over a thousand people when she was 88 years old. People always ask me, Brother Guess, when are you gonna retire? I said, I can't retire until my mom does. <laughs> she finally did. At 88, she retired and she moved in with us. And we've enjoyed having her. But 2019 has not been an easy year. She has gone from someone who ran a church office for a church of over a thousand people to where she does not know her name. It's not easy to see her like this. It's not easy for her or us. I'm gonna tell you something. That's not the time you jump ship. That's not the time you get bitter at God. That's not the time you get frustrated with life. That's the time you grab that ball a little bit harder. And you say, by the grace of God, Lord, I'm gonna strike out the devil right here. He's not invincible. And whatever he brings my way this week, whatever he brings your way this month, look, we don't know what tomorrow holds, but whatever it is, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. 
you can strike out mighty Casey. You can strike out the devil in your life. He has struck out before. And we need Christians, we need God's people to be victorious in these days when so many are being defeated by his forces. It all starts when you get saved. That's the greatest victory you'll ever have in your life is the day you get saved. As you heard about in these testimonies tonight, I'll tell you there's rejoicing in heaven, there's rejoicing on earth when a person gets saved. That's how you start. And then you live for the Lord every day of your life, no matter what comes. And you'll be victorious for Jesus Christ.